Heterodorks, heterodoxdorks. Hey, Turfs and Trannies, this is Nina Paley, and you're listening to Heterodorks. And I am your co-host, Corinna Cohn, and I am so excited today because I get to introduce onto our program our guest heterodork for this week, my old friend and very, very brave individual, Miranda Yardley. Hi, thank you. You forgot the um, stunning. Stunning and brave. Well, I'm claiming the stunning, stunning part. <laughs> You're brave. You've always been brave, Miranda. You've put yourself out into the public view. <laughs> Look where that got me. <laughs> it cost you. Absolutely. But your bravery is remarked on by anyone who I have a conversation with and your name comes up. But I am going to stay- take the stunning part because I'm a little bit younger and only for that reason. <laughs> you're so vain. <laughs> That's why I'm stunning. Wait, you're, wait, wait. So Corinna's <laughs> stunning and Miranda's brave? Right. Wow. Okay. This is like the opposite of the multiple personality thing. This is like a single personality spread out over two people. Yeah, well, what would you know? You're just a cis woman. <laughs> I know nothing. I, I have so much privilege. I have so much privilege, and I'm oppressing you, and I'm kind of thrilled to be oppressing two brave and stunning. Well, I can't tell if you're two or one. Depends what day of the week it is. <laughs> uh, two brave, stunning trans bodies at the same time. Isn't it all ridiculous? Why, yes. <laughs> Why, yes, it is. So, Miranda, I, I want to tell you that I knew of you before I knew of Corinna. So the work you were doing, or at least the outspoken stuff you were saying, was reaching me. And in fact, the first time I saw Corinna was a YouTube of you interviewing Corinna. Oh, cool. And then two weeks later, I met Corinna in real life just by complete chance. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. That was a that was a good chat me and Corinna had. Um, we, we've been kind of yakking away online probably since about two thousand and I can't remember if it's two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen. Um, so yeah, it was great to do something like that together. Corinna's been a tremendous influence on um, my thinking and shares quite a lot of the um, blame for everything that I've done. I would be glad to share the blame. I wish Miranda that. I could have shared some of the load too, because you have literally been prosecuted and I would say persecuted to some degree. I suppose so. It's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about the whole thing. It, it feels a bit weird to have gone through something like that. And then I watch some tranny who's, who whacked Maria McLaughlin, um, absolutely jubilant that he'd been well, convicted and fined for assault with battery on a woman. And, you know, it's like that there's a complete lack of symmetry there as to what clearly what we think are good things to do. I mean, the only reason I did what I did was because I thought it was the right thing to do. And it, you know, obviously didn't involve hitting women as well, which is obviously a good thing. Maria McLaughlin's attacker has been venerated by the trans community and portrayed as a victim. Yeah. Any uh... By, by cer- certain parts of it. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say all of it. It's it's not a monolith. That's true. As we all know. And I think that there are some people out there who are sensible enough to um, recognise that acts like that are, are are so obscene that it's, it's a really, really bad look. I, what I find most upsetting about the whole thing, bearing in mind this is four years ago. It's four years ago. Do you know, I'm still, I still find 
myself incapable of shutting up about this because the whole thing is so obscene that the worst thing about it, the most horrific thing about it, was the way that Stonewall, who were supposed to be community leaders, they sat on their asses for a good three, four days. I think it was on the Wednesday. They released a statement on the Saturday. And their statement was just, it, it was just pathetic. It was, it was absolutely flaccid. It was this thing about, you know, violence is bad in all situations. We need to work together, blah, blah. You know, all sort of awful fluff. When, of course, what they should have done after this is said, this was an absolutely horrific, terrible thing to do. The implications of it are extremely negative all round. Let's get together around the table and work out how this doesn't happen again. You know, not that Stonewall are going to take any responsibility for sorting out this bloody mess that they've created. If anything, Stonewall has created more division. Oh, absolutely. They've thrived on it. In fact, they've made money out of it. The person that's taken them through it, Ruth Hunt, has managed to get herself a peerage out of it. She is an absolute shock. There was never an opportunity for Ruth Hunt to throw lesbians under a bus that she did not take. That was, That's my observation. Yeah. Lesbians and women. Young women. So, Miranda, I heard you on Graham Linehan's uh, Trans Day of Visibility mm-hmm. or whatever it was podcast recently. And I thought that I heard you refer to yourself as a transvestite. That, that, that was a joke. I, I, I don't, I don't oh, make okay. many, many jokes like that. I, I just thought it funny in, in passing. When it just struck me as a, as, as a funny thing to say in passing to describe myself as a middle-aged transvestite. <laughs> right, that's what you said. Yeah. Um, but you're not middle-aged either, so I should have figured it oh, out. Oh, bloody am. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I am, I am middle-aged. <laughs> And um, if it was okay to be a transvestite, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in at the moment. <laughs> you don't look like you identify a day over 20. 29, my dear, 29. <laughs> what a coincidence. I'm going to be turning 29 in June. <laughs> wow, that's extreme. Really? 29? Yes, I'm becoming quite practiced at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm... Well, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to be a bona fide crone. But that's because I'm an oppressive cis woman. Only oppressive cis women can enjoy cronehood. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling oppressed from 6,000 kilometers away. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that was my hope for this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> hey, so um, Corinna was referring to you the other day. Corinna said it was weird to use masculine pronouns for you. Mm-hmm. And I guess masculine pronouns are your preferred pronouns. Corinna has never expressed a preference of pronouns to me, so I use masculine pronouns for Corinna as well. Okay. I do have a pronoun preference, Nina. It is, I want you to use your judgment and use whatever you're comfortable with. Well, the great thing about pronouns is that they uh, trip me up constantly now. Uh, I mean, I know ideologically that I want to use male pronouns for people who I know are male, and I know that both of you are male. So that works for me ideologically. Um, Today, though, uh, because Corinna was unpacking his bicycle right next to another car where this family was unpacking their bicycle, and it was a man and two little kids. They were unpacking their bicycles. Corinna's unpacking his bicycle. And, you know, I've just ridden 35 miles 
And I just assumed it was the same family. So I literally mistook Corinna for the mom of a suburban family unpacking their bicycles. <laughs> and, and was like breezing right past while I was looking for Corinna, who I was supposed Hips to. Hips don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um... You know, that's evidence of some, I mean, not that I was looking really closely, right? Like I just sort of glanced and and just categorized. It's like, this is a family, right? Like if Corinna had been by himself, I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, I got all these other cues of like male of about the same. I guess the male was actually a little bit younger, but these, you know, male and kids. Sorry, Corinna. (laughs) I never, I never. I'm still 29. This is literal, this is literal violence. I identify... As somebody in my late 20s, Nina. Awesome. I identify you as someone who identifies as someone in his late 20s. <laughs> uh, to be honest, you know, I've always been very suspicious about people who lie about their age. It, it seems to me to be such an unusual thing for somebody to want to keep from other people. Uh, it's, it's almost like an act of vanity. Um, and I know that there's going to be many people who disagree with me when I say this, but I think life gets better as you get older. And I'm quite, quite happy, quite happy where I am. Um, not looking forward to dying, but you know. Yeah, I really like aging. I, I feel like it's, hmm. there are so many stories, things that happened a while ago where I was wondering how they would turn out. And I'm seeing how they turn out. And even though it's like much worse than than I would like the way things the way things are turning out, it's still really fascinating, you know. Like, oh wow, a new religion! Like, who'd have thought that I would be witnessing the birth of a new religion? Which one's that? Oh, you know, genderism. I guess critical theory religion or whatever this postmodern wokeism thing is certainly genderism i regard as a religion but it seems to be Hmm. a denomination of of an even bigger religion or or a subset like a part part of the practice of whatever this new religion is it's a cultural thing really isn't it yes and it's kind of it's it's quite it's quite extraordinary i think that um i think it was a very clever move to adopt the tactics of the black civil rights movement and we're in this position now where there are young people who have been uh, you know indoctrinated into this ideology through the people that we entrust to their care in schools and they now seem to think that misgendering is as bad as being racist towards somebody and it's quite it's quite something that they've achieved through through that really um not that i believe in misgendering and to answer your question about pronouns really I, I don't really care. Um, I, I wrote something about pronouns, and I think um, I think it's all in, incredibly audacious for a, a male to demand of women, after what women have gone through, for men to demand pronouns from them. And um, you know, in in the words of um, Magdalene Burns, I'd rather be a um, I'd rather be truthful than a liar. Well, I remember. After an essay you wrote, you wrote a note about pronouns. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I started it off with that. Uh, 
I think that was my tirade against um, this guy called Philip Bunce, who spends oh, half God. of his life, yeah, spends half of his time laughing as a banker, and the other half laughing as a. I guess his idea of being a woman is just like. I mean, I I don't really know what to say about it. There was a time, there was a time back years ago, decades ago, when transvestites had a sense of fashion or whatever it is that this guy has has been using to evolve his sense of fashion is 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 quite astonishing. I, I, I his, his look is indescribable. Um, but yes, yeah, so he goes to work some days as Philip. And other days is Pepper, and everyone else is supposed to buy into this. And he gets put on female shortlists of, you know, powerful females in the city. Uh, there, were, there was a, a, a shortlist a couple of years ago, and there were two two males in the top 100, and in another list, another male. It's like, you know, these lists are no good if you are not going to recognise actual women, if you're going to allow men who who LARP to... to um, to claim these these titles, then what you're doing is you the, the very thing that the very thing that they're trying to demonstrate that the that these these jobs these roles are now reachable by women this glass ceiling doesn't exist. What you're doing is saying that actually there is a there is a glass ceiling here, and the glass ceiling is um it, it is is open to men who who think that they can be a woman by wearing a appallingly bad stripper wig and um clothes that nobody even in the 1970s would have been seen dead in almost as though they came from his mother's closet i wasn't going to say that but yeah there is some very very interesting photographs of the guy in um parliament he's addressing parliament and talking about trans kids and why children should be allowed to transition this is a guy who is a director at a bank and is married with children and has spent his life as a heterosexual man benefit from being in a heterosexual relationship. Am I allowed to say he can just go and fuck himself? Yes. Okay. Then I think he should really just go and fuck himself. He probably does. Hmm. I caught a tweet he did because he'd got this, he'd been at this award ceremony and he tweeted about how all these awful, how awful these mean turfs were. And I, I got that tweet before he deleted it. So yeah, he can go and fuck himself. Sorry, this is going to be an R-rated podcast. I mean, how could he resist fucking himself, given how incredibly sexy Pippa is, uh, right? He, he probably can't. Indeed, it's probably his primary primary motivation for his creation of uh, the the uh, simulacra of um, Pippa. Um, he is effectively becoming what he loves, and the thought that there are women who will be working in that bank that have to address this man as as a woman is fucking nuts yeah so we'll both we'll both be further cancelled for this conversation that's great but I would like everybody to know that Miranda fucking Yardley is <laughs> is trans so it's not just the you know horrible entitled cis woman that's, that's driving this conversation the big meanie in the corner who's putting putting mind melds on me to say evil things about um, stunning and brave trans women. Goodness me. <laughs> it's almost as if you can't think of yourself. Think for yourself, isn't it? It's almost as if you're not allowed an opinion and you're not allowed to think for yourself. That's why it's a religion. Hmm. 
yeah, it, it does have cultish aspects, especially the way that people do this um, do this dreadful thing of saying how oh I I used to think this and now I think this and I I feel really awful for thinking X when I should be thinking Y and uh, it's just like this 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 public self flagellation this act of piety uh, just to show how close they are to the gods of gender or whatever it is that they are worshiping in their minds when they are doing the whole trans women and women thing which is something that really needs to go we're working on it <laughs> yeah it's almost as if there's something wrong with being a man don't we hear that though what like kill all men bizarrely you hear stuff like kill all men and about how awful white men are usually from these liberal feminists who join groups like uh, in this country sisters uncut and uh, reclaim these streets and these groups, these groups of liberal, lib femme women who are part of these these collectives, they they come out with all of that, and then you know they get some guy who who joins them, who's who's wearing his dress and his best, um, you know, his best Dolly Parton wig, and not that any of them would ever have the class to have a Dolly Parton wig, um, so joins them and suddenly finds himself centered in the entire conversation, um, you know, dropping his snippets of wisdom which are lapped up greedily it's quite the irony is astonishing there has been a new movement in the last 10 years miranda the the non-binary movement Mm -hmm. who they consider themselves trans Mm -hmm. they speak for trans people Mm -hmm. but i I, maybe i'll come back to that later the thing that i want to point out is that there was a real possibility at the beginning of this non-binary movement to model gender non-conformity as being a valuable thing mm. to show male people like us that you can adopt some things that are feminine without having to declare that you are the other sex. Mm-hmm. And so for a brief moment, I was really hopeful that this non-binary movement might actually move us closer to gender abolition. Now, recently, it seems more like the non-binary movement is closer towards gender reification and that the gender that you identify with is more real than the sex that you were born as. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a disappointment. But I am sensitive to the idea that there are young people out there, young men and young women, who feel so constrained by what is allowable or proper for their which sex stereotypes they express as that they feel like their only option is to declare that they are non-binary. I think the the, the whole thing about non-binary is that the, the whole the whole trans thing defines man and woman, what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman so rigidly that someone somewhere had to come up with this idea of non-binary so that there was another box to put people in that didn't fit into the tightly um, the, the tightly defined man box and the tightly defined woman box. I think that non-binary is basically a fashion statement. Having spoken recently with a good number of non-binary people, including being pulled into a struggle session with about a dozen of them. What? I witnessed this. This is on the app Clubhouse. Yes. What's a struggle session? This is a type of event where somebody who is a heterodox thinker or is not compliant with the way you are supposed to think is interrogated by a group of right-thinking people 
so that their ego is broken down until they admit that they are wrong Mm -hmm. and confess that they have committed a sin against the culture or a sin against the state. And the only way that they can have any form of redemption is to disavow any of their beliefs that they held that were against the against the norm well that's not cultish at all it's not it's totally normal (laughs) that's absolutely absurd i am not good at apologizing i'm just kind of stubborn so i kept i kept listening to them but i kept saying the things that i believe also miranda i don't think it's a fashion statement these young people who identify as non-binary the vast majority of them believe that they are working towards some cultural revolution whereby sex will be declared a social construct and that everybody will be able to realize their true actual gender without being constrained by their sex. Like, they have an ideology. Yeah, I guess so. I I suspect that we're probably close to agreeing as to what this is all about but we, we're using different words to describe it um the certainly with the trans and non-binary movement the material reality of biological sex is becoming unutterable which is um it is is quite quite amazing and again as nina said about uh, a religion it is kind of a religious thing where you are taking um, something that is a real thing and pretending that it's something else. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that there, I think that there was pretty much about the time that we first met, uh, Corinna, that the non-binary movement and the trans movement, they kind of became allied. And I, I don't think it was, I, you know, and even now I think that the two movements are, I think there is some sort of, I think there is, now some sort of conflict because what non-binary is is is, you know has kind of moved on a bit and the um i I think what we're seeing is that the i mean that there there was some form of 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 culture around people being transsexual you know as as a transsexual you you you're part of a, a particular cultural group and that cultural group has become very very and disparate and um you know i'm not claiming any sort of true trans thing here just to be clear but it's it's quite interesting that the culture of transsexualism has has very much been stamped down in favor of of transgenderism and i think transgenderism and non-binary pretty much are are i think they pretty much are are the same sort of thing now i guess you're welcome to disagree with me (laughs) i do agree with you I don't think that it was healthy for a community to have these hierarchies in the past where there was this idea of true trans, but I'll admit it was like that in the trans community. If you were somebody who had SRS, that somehow made you a little bit more trans or a little bit more authentically trans than somebody who said that they didn't want to have it. Do you remember there used to be language in our community about full-time and part-time? Oh, yeah. And some people considered themselves full-time living as a woman full-time or being trans full-time. Well, those hierarchies are long gone now at this point, Mm. but walking down that path of diffusion of what makes you trans, it used to be that you were living full-time 
that you're on hormones, that you had surgery, that you had your name changed, hmm. and that you were walking away from your past, that you were trying to assimilate. That model or that objective has been chipped away continually. And it's to the point now where the only qualifications to call yourself trans or to tell other people that you're trans is to say that you use they, them pronouns. That that's the only signifier now of being trans. It's completely meaningless. That might be good, though. Hmm. I don't think it's healthy to ascribe so much meaning to being a transsexual. Hmm. Because it has, for me anyway, it has caused me to create these illusions that I am something that I can't ever be. Mm -hmm. So the more meaningless we make it, that might actually be the path towards solving the delusional aspect of transition. The idea that you can literally become the opposite sex. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're making, I think that's a valid point. And I think to some degree there is some, I think that, that there is possibly some form of congruence between the goal of gender abolition and what transgenderism is seeking to do. Um, the, the, I'm not saying that they are aligned, um, per perfectly aligned, or that they, you know, for practical purposes now, that there is any alignment that would between the two sides that would make it um, a viable prospect for the things to come together as they are but what, what I'm saying is that basically they want the same thing the difference with the transgender movement is what they do is that they instead of saying no matter who you are or what you are you can have access to all of the stuff of what you know all the stuff and things that uh, life has that you know all the things in the real world that everyone has you can have access to them no matter what your sex rather than embracing that as an idea they seem to be saying that, that you can have access to those but what that does is that puts you in another box there is this this compulsion i think to put people this need i think for people to put other people in boxes all the time um rather than let people you know be who they are <laughs> you know i, I want to be me not not a collection of, of um fragmented labels or, or ideas um does does that make sense I hear what you're saying. Yes, but does it make sense? <laughs> it's just some abstract noises. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I might be wrong, but I suspect that putting people into boxes is just part of our psychology. I think it, it probably is. And, you know, people want to be part of groups and create their own groups and feel comfortable within these groups. Um, I think the problem arises when people want to gatecrash other people's groups and think that they've got a right to do it. I hate to say this, but I think that that might actually just be part of human history hmm. because taking over somebody else's land is a form of gatecrashing, right? It's a more aggressive than just declaring yourself to be trans or declaring yourself to be a woman, but it's still another form of conquering. Yeah, um, it's all about power. I wonder if it's somewhat utopian to believe that we could get to a state or arrive at some sort of stable social parity where nobody feels like they need to put themselves into other people's spaces or capture other people's spaces. I believe in the law of conservation of evil, 
the idea that we're ever going to have, it's like, sure, there might be, you know, harmony in some area that there's conflict in now, but that will be more than compensated for by some other conflict arising that we never would have imagined. Which, by the way, this whole uh, transgender ideology is. I mean, 20 years ago, I never would have imagined this. Never. This is like, this is like science fiction satire, where this is the thing that's dividing people. I mean, the last people, it's like, if you had asked me who should rule the world 20 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, transsexuals, that sounds good. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, no. sequins. <laughs> That's what it was 20 years ago. And by the way, Miranda, there's something else that you wrote that stuck with me, which was uh, lighten up trannies. This used to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think I was... I think I was called a misogynist for saying that. <laughs> but it, I remember when it was fun. It used to be fun. It really was. Yeah, me, yeah, me, me too. You know? When I lived in San Francisco, you know, there were, there were drag queens, of course, and transsexuals and trans whatevers. And, you know, it, it was transgressive. I went on the, have you heard of the Jerry Springer oh, show? Yes. Who hasn't? I, I, I do sometimes feel like I live under a rock, but I don't really. I, I have heard of Jerry Springer. <laughs> well, you know, English culture is different. Um, although I guess the Jerry Springer opera originated in England. I still haven't heard it. So I was actually on the Jerry Springer oh, wow. show in 1997 uh, as part of a, you know, whatever fake name with a group called the Church of Euthanasia. The leader of the Church of Euthanasia, Reverend Chris Corda, uh, dressed, he was, he was a cross-dresser and showed up, and in very good cross-dresser, showed up in a dress and wig and makeup as, as he does, so that there was a moment in the middle of the show where he says, I'm a man, uh, and apparently quite a few people in the audience did not realize this, so convincing was his appearance. Uh, and it was fun. It was like, I mean, we were doing all kinds of Dada stuff on this thing, right? The Church of Euthanasia is a, a antinatalist, like, I don't even quite want to say satirical, but it's, Chris regarded it as a Dada performance art project. And yeah, it was just, it was ridiculous and fun and it felt transgressive, uh, but also fun. Um in a, in a kind of lighthearted way, uh, like sort of lighthearted and angry at the same time. And there's just nothing like that now. Like I, it's the last thing I would have imagined happening to those ideas. Um, I think that that's, it seems like there's a problem generally in that people seem to have forgotten how to enjoy themselves. The, um, yeah, I know that humor is um, basically laughing at other people's misfortune. Um, but the you know the the ability for within these 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 cultural groups with so many cultural groups the uh, ability just to, to stand back and have a have a laugh at yourself has just it seems to have vanished you know I mean I used to go out on the goth and the drag scene and the alternative scene uh, way back in the nineteen you know the nineteen nineties and I'd look ridiculous but 
I'd, I'd really enjoy looking ridiculous. And I would, you know, I'd know I look ridiculous and celebrate the fact that I look ridiculous. But it was fun. It was great fun to, you know, just to do stuff um, and to pulling together outfits. You know, is, what, what are you supposed to be? You, 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 you look like half pirate and something that's fallen out of a Hawkwind gig. It's fun. I lived in the Castro from in San Francisco from 1991 to 1996, I think. And uh, I, I was a gender dysphoric young person. I uh, was certainly gender non-conforming. I did not want to be female. And when I was eight years old, I declared that I was not going to wear anything a boy wouldn't wear. So between the ages of eight and 17, I never wore a dress. I never wore a skirt. I never wore any, uh, you know, girl appropriate stuff. And even though I, I relented a little bit once I was 17, I, I still was like that until living in San Francisco in the Castro, where I was surrounded by men who were wearing dresses and makeup and, you know, there was lots of drag and it was fun. And then I was like, oh, Right. If I'm not willing, it's like boys do wear this, <laughs> right? Like, you know, boys do wear makeup and dresses and wigs and stuff. So uh, I guess I can wear this stuff too. And uh, I basically tried drag because all the men around me were doing it and it was safe to do. And it was fun. It was like this thing that I had, you know, the sort of revulsion to, I could finally play with and experiment with because I didn't feel like it was, you know, by definition, locking me into some feminine role. And that, by the way, is, is why I, you know, just don't diss drag queens. I realize drag culture has changed since then, but I have very fond memories of drag from the nineties in San Francisco. And I never, felt affronted by it as a female i i felt like it was it was making a mockery out of gender altogether it's not woman face i did not not with those faces my friend (laughs) it was it was absurd it was funny but yes you're right like it was so it was so funny it was like there was just so much laughing how could this ever become serious because you're literally killing people. <laughs> How many people have we, are you keeping score? I should have like a mark, you know, body marks on I've, the wall for all the people we've killed during this conversation. I've got a pad here. I'm just doing little checks every time someone says something evil. So I'm keeping keeping a tally. Yeah. It's the accountant in me coming out. <laughs> Will you need another pad? Should we take a break? I, I've got loads of pads. Great. <laughs> I'm remembering when I got put onto the block bot, Miranda, and it was because I was saying, you know what? If you just accept that you were born male and that's okay, if you come to grips with that, it'll make you feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's why I got put on the block bot. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, that's an outrageous thing to say. How very dare you? Well, the idea was that I was hurting people. And the block bot was there to protect people. Do you remember, do you remember when the block bot was run 
by some of the most unhinged individuals you'd ever find anywhere, never mind on Twitter, people like Laurie Lye Bailey. And that, do you remember when they put Lady Gaga on the block block for transphobia and President Obama on block block for transphobia as well? Hor- horrible, horrible device. Um, that it, what was quite interesting, I, I found it really interesting watching the people who were um, who were moderating it and they, uh, you, you know, the, the, the internet police who were out there taking people's complaints and um, putting their that putting their tweets on Storyfy with some with with a thing documenting how evil they were. What what a horrible what a horrible little project that was. They were innovators. They that whole Blockbot project preceded the current degree of cancel culture that we have on the internet. And cancel mm. culture, I think, is become a, a word that you that is used to describe a lot of things that maybe it's becoming blurry, but specifically the idea of removing somebody's presence on Twitter or on the internet, I think is a form that you could call cancel culture. They are they lose their ability to have access to the most common public venues. But they were innovators. Yes. In fact, I believe that some of the people that were only one degree of separation away from the BlockBot administrators did become part of groups that were on the Twitter Trust and Safety Board. Miranda, when were you banned from Twitter? Uh, 2018. And what was the reason? Oh, the usual. Hate facts. I thought you misgendered yourself. I thought that's why you were banned. <laughs> no. I misgendered myself and suddenly my internet presence disappeared. <laughs> um, no, I mean, um, there were a few things that happened. They were going for me at that time because I was a pain in the ass. Um, and I, you know, I would say that if you are going to, um, if you're going to be passionate about something and you really, and you, you want to fight a, a movement that you disagree with, becoming a pain in the ass is a great way to do it. Um, and the there were a number of things that happened that really got uh, got the goat of this lot. Um, the first one was that we had a guy called Heather Pito who was um, part of a, a women's only shortlist for, um, for, for for political office for election to political office, and was joining a as part of the Labour Party, was joining a women-only um, incentive to get women, you know, more women involved in politics. Um, and I'd, what I'd done is I'd, I'd worked out that this, this guy had come on my radar for some reason. And I, I thought there's something unusual about him. Um, and I, I found out with just using the power of Google that he'd, um, he'd actually stood for election as a man. <laughs> And I, so I challenged them, saying, do you think it's fair for you to do all of these things as a woman, having having stood for election already as a man, you know, having having got involved in politics as a man, stood for election and whatnot. And now what you're doing is you're using, you know, being unsuccessful at it. And now what you're doing is you're claiming to be a woman and that you are trying to and what, what you're doing now is that you are um, using things that have been created specifically so that women can redress their lack of representation in politics. And, um, well, of course, he didn't like that. He accused me of doing all sorts of 
weird things. He's got a peculiar way with words. Um, he accused me of some sort of um, some sort of deep level data mining or something. It was it was all fantasist stuff. And the what what happened after that was that. Uh, you know, because people had seen what I'd found out and what I'd challenged with him and that he was someone who was prepared to lie through his teeth. You know, he could have nipped it all in the bud and said, yes, I did. And yeah, I did that then, but I'm doing this now and I believe about believe for what I'm doing. And it's, you know, I think what I'm doing is positive, yada, yada, yada. But in, instead, he just behaved like a dick. And, and then people, you know, it didn't take much for people to find, uh, with his unusual name, Heather Pito, uh, find loads of reference to him on on porn sites, find his live journal where he talked about doing weird stuff. And, you know, as someone who was effectively um, getting, you, you know, talking about being with a group of um, other students at university and how he's there gently lifting his skirt up to show a little bit more leg in a, in a, in a kind of a weird way. It's a bit weird. And they found all sorts of really quite, um, really quite mucky stuff on this guy. So I really upset this guy, um, Heather Peter, and he, he was part of the Labour Party. Um, it was quite interesting. I got asked to remove a load of tweets, which I initially refused to do. Um, and I was expecting to get, you know, another 30 day ban from Twitter. Um, but I, I removed the tweets and that was it. There was no ban. Then what happened in February, I saw that a woman who's involved with the... Um, with the homophobic death cult mermaids was um she was online and she was having a go at some of the trans people that i know here who um who share similar sort of beliefs to me particularly christina harrison and debbie hayton and she was saying how awful they were and you know just saying mean things about trans people that this um heterosexual woman disagreed with um and and I sent her a tweet that essentially said uh, was the effect of you're a complete and utter hypocrite. You're you're hiding behind a alias. This is you know saying bad shit about trans people who you're pretending to support. Here is your you know addressed her by a name saying this is your name. This is who you are and put a Google screen cap there, which showed which connected her Twitter account to her her real name because she previously she had she had done that she connected the two had that name on the account and she'd also um she does it, it was also all over the internet and she goes and reports me to the bloody police and and then that saga all started um what caused the uh eventual ban was i i tweeted um four simple uh, five simple words amy challoner is a man and I'm sure you've all heard about Amy Challoner and the utterly dreadful cesspool of utterly weird shit that his life has been and has become. I would never say Amy Challoner is a pedophile. And I, I, I don't know whether Amy Challoner is a pedophile or not. He's a man, though. He's a man. I've seen no evidence to suggest he's a pedophile. Seen plenty of evidence to suggest that his father is a convicted pedophile, and there is, um, you know, I did a video about this where I talk about him. He is a victim. He is a victim of the situation he was brought up in, the the conditions that he was he was brought up in with his family sound absolutely horrific. You know, his idea of what is normal. You know, even even years ago when when we first found out about this, 
my, my initial thoughts were what this guy has normalized is going to be just like way off the scale and um yeah sure as we now know it really is way off the scale he's into um adult baby furry age play or some other weird shit you know by, by all means do what you want as long as it harms no one but don't claim some sort of a moral authority about it i'd like to look forward a little bit miranda <laughs> oh gosh you and i have written different pieces that articulate a point of view that is not as common in the trans community anymore mm -hmm. and i loved your tumblr by the way it was great it was um your tumblr was was inspirational thank you i'm sorry that i felt pressured to close it down because there were a number of people who were threatening to try to ruin my life over it at the time, I did not have your courage to print my words under my name. But yes, the previous blog that I had was called Anti-Orthodox. I remember your Twitter account very well. One of, one of the first Twitter accounts that I started interacting with in this. You were great. You were a tremendous inspiration on me. And through your words and things that you said, it's been an inspiration. You know, you, you have had a huge amount of influence. It is mutual, Miranda, because... I think that there are two people who really stand out for me as paragons of courage. That would be you for a fact, and the other would be Kathy Brennan. Between you two, showing that you were willing to state your convictions under your name, that emboldened me to start doing the same. So I, I really appreciate it. We have a mission I think, I feel like I have a mission, I can't speak for you, but I feel like I have a mission to help more trans people work their way through the cloak, the suffocating cloak of identity, because I feel like a lot of trans people, because I feel like I used to do this myself, wrap themselves up in these ideas and misunderstandings about who they really are. It's a heavy burden. Every time somebody misgenders you or uses your dead name, whenever one of those events happens, it's a real blow to the ego. But I feel like I have the ability to model for other trans people that these can be events that are not blows to the ego. And that the closer that you get to recognizing that you are what you are, the easier it is to deal with the dysphoria or, or pain of being trans. So I've, I feel like I have to show people, our people, trans people, that it's possible to live and be happy without having to get everything wrapped around these ideas of gender identity. Do you, do you feel similarly? Yes, I think that's a great idea. Um, I've, I've always, I see, um, I've always... Because of the person I am, um, although my degree and academic studies were always um, in the arts, I did sciences until I was 18 and then did um, did an arts subject, business and um, business economics and philosophy at university. And the um, my, my whole thing, my whole shtick is that I can't buy into an idea if it doesn't make sense. And so I, I've, I have... 
although my academic studies were all arts-based, I've, I've always been a complete and utter science nerd. I still am a complete science nerd. As you know, I'm heavily into mathematics and um, physics and, and chemistry, these things, you know, these are all the things that I I pour my energy into in my free time, that and music. And it's, um, I, I think it's so important to have a view of the world that is foundational upon some sort of some sort of truth, some sort of reality, some sort of reality. So, you know, a, an idea of material reality is very important. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a materialist and I'm an empiricist. And I think that these two things have been very good. They've been a very good prophylactic in preventing me from buying into uh, genderist ideas. My, um, you know, one of the things that has changed with trans is that you used to spend years and years going into counselling. And I did years and years of counselling. And so much of my counselling was me bargaining with myself, saying, you know, I know I'm not a woman, yet I still feel compelled to take this decision with my life. And it's you know this it's like this 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 dialogue, um that 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 I I had with for myself over over a very very long time um you know the the amount of counselling I had over 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 years over over a decade in total quite extraordinary amount of time really, I I don't think you can make a sustainable equilibrium if if it's foundational upon something that's untrue because if it's something that's untrue you can deceive yourself as much as you like but no one else is going to buy it forever. So it comes from underneath you. I, I think as someone who is trans, the moment that you stop giving a fuck about um, pronouns or dead names is the moment that you stop uh, worrying and start living. So you said that through these years of counseling, you knew that you weren't a woman. You wanted to transition anyway. What was that about? Like, what was that like having the awareness, like before you transitioned that this wasn't going to actually turn you into a woman, but there was something that you wanted. And also when I, when I speak of transition, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, had surgery, you, like you had like a lot of physical stuff, medical transition, as well as social. I mean, was some of it a desire specifically for the medical stuff? Uh, was, was it like the whole package? Was it like, you know, getting the surgery and also uh, whatever the social aspect of it is? Like what? And were you and were you more interested in leaving uh, intact manhood, or or was it actually like what? Like what was it? What were you? What were you doing? I still ask ask myself the same question to this day. Like what something something I've talked to Miranda about, um, you know, like like the alternate title for our show if we if we have to switch hosts. What were you pointing at yourself? Did you just call me Miranda? Oops, sorry, Corinna. I guess all of us trannies look the same, don't we? You're all exactly <laughs> well. Look. Between you and Miranda, you have uh, one, what was it? Like, one of you is brave and one of you is stunning, right? Just like a cis woman, not to keep us, I was going to say straight, but I can't say that. <laughs> right. Well, I totally missexed you today. Anyway, uh, Christ, what was I? Oh, yeah. So we, was something, Corinna and I 
talked about or I talked at Corinna about before. And I think about this a lot, right? So the, the other thing we could call this podcast is spayed and neutered. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm spayed and Corinna's neutered. And I did once oh ask God. Corinna about like if he had considered detransition. And he said, well, detransition to what? I don't have gonads. And I was, uh, you know, like I thought about it and it's like, hmm, yeah, you know, given that I'm like menopausal and have no uterus, like, would I really want to be taking testosterone myself or, or estrogen or anything? Like, would I want to, and I was like, no, no, I don't think I would. Um, and I'm like, I like being like this, right? Like, I really like being spayed. <laughs> like, if I could have been spayed, you know, 20 years ago, I would have gone for it. Uh, I I enjoy it so much. It's And, and, the, th- <laughs> and the thing is... Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so just, you know, I had a hysterectomy in 2018, like a long overdue one. But it got me thinking about, like, eunuchhood and the history of eunuchs and how eunuchs were a thing uh, in the past throughout civilization. And they're not now, right? We don't talk about it now. Uh well, we do. We just don't use the word eunuch. <laughs> well, but the thing is, you could you could be. It's like there's no option for being a eunuch without having some sort of uh, gender identity justified or testicular cancer. Right? You can be a eunuch if you have testicular mm. cancer. But if somebody actually like wants to be a eunuch, there's no option for them. You have to have this gender identity driving it. Um. And I'm like, maybe some people, not very many, like very, very few, I am sure. But, uh, you know, maybe some people want that. It's such a contradiction, isn't it? It's like, I'm thinking, thinking of a very dear friend of mine when I, when I recall this. If you're a woman and you want to go to the doctors and say, I want to be sterilized here. They won't do it if you're young because chance of malpractice, you know, if you change your mind, yada, yada, yada. But if a young woman goes to a doctor here and says, I identify as a man, she can have a uterus taken out and she can have her breasts removed. Two things, there's two ideas are not sitting very well in my head. There is a contradiction in there. For sure. And I did have that. I mean, when I, when I, I wanted a tubal ligation from a very early age and when I turned 18 no one would give it to me when I turned 25 no one would give it to me finally at 33 you know I had to wait till I was 33 to get a tubal ligation yes so so you're very correct and I didn't even consider like having a, a hysterectomy in spite of all of the pain that I was in you know I was just sort of like told to just suck oh, it up I'm so sorry to uh, hear that or it wasn't it wasn't real <laughs> or something. Um, but given, you know, now now that I, like, once I learned what was actually going on with these fibroids and stuff, uh, it was like, oh, this explains, you know, decades of immense suffering that I 
went through and it would have been so excellent had I not had to suffer that. On the other hand, it's all the past. The past is over either way. Past of suffering or past past of less suffering doesn't make any difference now. Good. That is a resilient attitude. Well, the nice thing about having your suffering in the past is you can appreciate all these things you learned from it, right? If I'd lived this you know, blissful life of no suffering, I wouldn't know what it's like to be human. Or I guess I would. I would have known what it's like to be a different human. But um, I, I appreciate what I've learned. Mm. As I'm sure do you. Yeah, certainly. I do. Um, I feel like I've learned lots. Lots. Well, Corinna, what you were saying about uh, gender identity and the, what did you call it? Like the heavy cloak of gender identity? Yes. I, I was thinking that's also just identity. Like I- identities of all kinds are a kind of a kind of trap. They're they seem to be necessary, but but they have problems, right? <laughs> they they can be very confusing, and they can definitely lock people in. I had this quip i respect your humanity not your identity like i don't respect anyone's identity not even my own this idea of respecting identity or um reifying it identity is like a habit of mind it's like a shortcut it can help maybe get you through the day It, it has a certain expedience but it should never be reified I think a lot of stuff that happens with identity is all about following someone else's rules. And I think that um, as being someone who most of my life I've been a bit of an oddball and I quite enjoy being an oddball. Uh, I like to march the sound of my own drum. Uh, And I think that there's a lot to be said for thinking for yourself. I think you're fine with people they buy into ideas of identity almost like a comfort blanket and it gives them something that, you know, they have an instant in-group. It's like, I feel like a bit of an outsider, of what am I going to do? It's like, well, you know, let's buy into transgenderism or even let's buy into radical feminism. And what it does is it gives you a in-group at which you can join and suddenly feel part of something. And as long as you follow those rules, then everything's fine and dandy. If you don't follow those rules, well, of course, then you're evil and you get ostracised. And put to death. We haven't been put to death yet. Only because they haven't caught us. <laughs> they know where you live. Uh, yeah, don't joke about that. They do actually know where I live. <laughs> That's a scary thing. And there are, um, I, I have enemies who live in the same town as me. It's like political enemies who live in the same town as me. It's a bit unnerving. I have to think to myself before I leave now, do I look all right? What can I do to annoy them today? Well, we've said it all. That's it. We've we've solved the world by eradicating ourselves. I no longer exist. I identify as not existing, so that solves the problem. (laughs) I identify as quasi-existence. I'm going to exist on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then I'm going to not exist on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Wise choice with the Monday. Your non-binary existence. Your existence is non-binary. That's right. My pronouns are uncertain. 
un slash certain. I get that. All right. Well, thank you, Miranda Yardley. Thank you, Miranda. It was a real pleasure to finally talk to you, screen to screen. It's been an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor. Thank you so much, Turf and Trammy.